The speedcafe.com podcast is brought to you by Morris, the official finance partner of Speed Cafe. Speed. 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 Speed Cafe. Speedcafe.com. Your daily racing fix. Check it out. Speed Cafe. <laughs> Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty, and this is the Speed Cafe podcast. The Sandown 500 is back. But for how long? As we revealed in the latest Speed Cafe newscast, Sandown has just two more years left. So get in while you still can at this weekend's Penrite Oil Sandown 500. Now, look, there will probably be a 60th anniversary Sandown during Karanjuro next year, but after that, no guarantee. The Sandown 500 was, for a while, Supercar's retro round, celebrating iconic race car liveries of the past. That's fallen by the wayside post-pandemic, but one team is honouring history this weekend. The Penrite Racing Ford Mustangs are running liveries that pay tribute to Blue Oval racing legend Alan Moffat's 1979 XC Falcon Hardtop. Sadly, Moffat is a victim of dementia, but amid his decline, he is a patron of Dementia Australia. Penride and Grove Racing are supporting the charity, which helps the many, many thousands, including Moffat, afflicted by the debilitating mental disease. Grove Racing is fielding powerful combinations at Sandown and Bathurst, David Reynolds and Garth Tander, and Matt Payne and French endurance racing star Kevin Estray. But much more than that, Grove Racing is out to, to upset the supercar's order. Team owner Stephen Grove is ambitious, very ambitious. He's backing his own to become a supercar's powerhouse with many, many millions of dollars in investment in people and facilities. Triple Eight has dominated supercars for the best part of two decades, challenged occasionally by Tickford Racing, HRT and DJR. Grove Racing is on a path to sustained success stocking up with ex-Triple-Eight behind-the-scenes stars. At the launch of the Moffat Retro Livery, I spoke with Stephen Grove, Team Principal David Couchy, Advisor Co-Driver Garth Tander, and the team's future star driver Matt Payne about the team's lofty ambitions. It's clear the team's principal players are serious about overtaking Triple-Eight Erebus Motorsport, DJR and Tickford in the next few years. Stephen Grove, you clearly have ambitions for this race team. How big are those ambitions? Oh, for us, it probably there's probably no ceiling for the ambitions of what we want to achieve. I mean, we look at the greats of, of Triple Eight and, and, and what Roger Penske did in Australia. Um, we want to be at the top of where we can be. And, and that's going to take time because nothing's there's no silver bullet there's no easy way of getting to the top you need to get everything in line and we've had a 
pretty good year based on the results on weekends, but it's been terrible on the points because you get a couple of DNF searches, so we haven't been able to show where we are, and it, it, it shows how difficult it is to get to the front. But, yeah, we, we, we hope we're coming. So how are you doing that? How do you take a mid-level team, let's say, and make it a top team to compete against, as you suggested, Triple Eight, DJR, teams like that? Well, the two things they do well is is the first issue when you come into a new team is getting everyone to believe that you can win. You know, the 10th's OK. Well, 10th's not OK. You know, we have to win the races um, and get podiums and, and do that regularly. So that that's number one. And, and number two is just to build the infrastructure. We did that early with the engineering department we put together and team principal. We've done that with our facility now. Um, we believe we've done it with our drivers um, moving forward. So when you put all that together, we just need to be consistent. And the issue is to make no mistakes. It's a very costly exercise at the best of times. And you've clearly invested a lot into the team and its infrastructure and people so to get to the top it's going to cost you isn't it yeah i mean that's just relative to motor racing motor racing is you know it costs a lot of money to do but it's not just about throwing money at it it's about working out the right way to spend the money the right way to build the team um, and it's not it's not just about trying to buy something or somebody it's about a process of, of getting them to believe in what you're doing and if you can do that you'll be right um, but yeah, you're spot on, it does cost a lot of money. And it needs the best people, and you've already put in some key people who've worked at top teams before. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting point. You build early with people that have experience, and now you train. You know, we've got young engineering Jack, we've got Oscar coming through, um, he's still two or three years. We're, we're thinking who's going to drive the car in four years' time, and that's what we're building with Oscar, and we're building with our junior program, and we're bringing new people into the industry because if you don't if you try and get people from the industry all the time you're never going to succeed because you need to create your own infrastructure and your own people and that's better for the industry so we'll continue to work on that is brenton part of that plan that future is there a succession plan that's an interesting point you know we're in a lot of different businesses and our largest business from a employment and turnover perspective and profitability is our uh, is our manufacturing business, and Brenton's the CEO of that. So, my my, my feeling would be at some point um, he, he'll need to step back. I mean, he's CEO of the race team, and he's across that, but it's a big business, so he he, he might need to take a step back from from the race team um, and concentrate more on the on the commercial side of our big business. David Couchy, you've come from the biggest team in supercars to Grove Racing. Stephen Grove has big ambitions for this team. Is the basis for a super team here now and can you build this operation into a winning top team? Yeah, 100% we can, you know, we're, we've been building and we're just sort of trying to do it. We understand where we want to get to and, and, and sort of how a strategy of how to get there. And, uh, you know, there's a process. You can't you can't really take any shortcuts, unfortunately, in this uh, in this industry. There's a there's a process that we have to go through to be able to get to where we want to want to get. But, you know, that's um, that's well and truly underway, you know, with, you know, acquiring some, you know, the right people, uh, the infrastructure that, uh, Stephen and Brenton, uh, you know, in the factory, the investment that they're making at our facility there, it'll be a world-class facility uh, to, to operate a race team out of. 
Um, so everything's everything's there to um, to be able to get the results on track. Uh, we're just uh, in the process of sort of gluing all that together and all those projects in the background that you don't really see uh, sort of on track as such or at the track. Uh, they're all sort of starting to, to sort of come together and, and, and wrap up in some ways. Um, and then we can, you know, start to really build and glue the team together. Well, of course, you would know the Triple Eight playbook inside out. You would have used it enough times. So that experience, does, does that, well, does that teach you how to turn another team into a super team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had a you know 15 years at Triple Eight and um, was was lucky enough to, to experience lots of success with a with a great bunch of great bunch of people um, and some great you know, some great drivers, of course. And um, we achieved some some fantastic things. And like I said, I think we we understand where we need to get to and what we need to do to get there. Um, and we're just working through that in the in the background, you know, quietly in the background. So um, absolutely knowing. Um, knowing what the level is of that team, which has been the benchmark team in our sport for, well, yeah, about, about the 15 plus years now, 16, 17 years. So, um, you know, having, having that knowledge is absolutely valuable. How close are you, do you think, to getting this operation to the, the top level? How, how long is it going to take? Oh, look, it's certainly hard to, to put an exact timeline on these things, you know. So this is, this is where we're one and a half years in or a bit over one and a half now. Uh, so look, I, th I think it would be unfair to put a, a, a you know a timeline to say this is when we're going to be at the level that we want. It's a it's a continuous process that we're just working through. Um, so it's um, you know to put a very definitive timeline on it is is difficult. But like I said, I think from from the infrastructure side of things, our, our building will be um, you know functional from within another couple of months now I think that's a really big part of the the building process it's literally the foundations of the team that will allow us to operate at a really really high level um, you know next year we've we're making some changes in the driver lineup as well um, and we've got a really strong engineering and mechanical team and, and we're adding a few a few people to the engineering department and the mechanical department as well so um, you know, I think you know next year for me is 100% really exciting. But there's no reason why we can't win this weekend at Sandown. So, um, you know, basically the answer to your question is we can win this weekend. <laughs> of course, you run the team day to day. It's the buck stops with you. So it's on your head, isn't it, to get this this into a top level operation? Yeah, that's right. Um, Brenton and Steve have put a lot of faith in me, um, you know, allowing me to, to operate the team. Um, so, you know, I have to repay that that trust. And um, like I said, but it's, you know, it's it's a team. You know, there's a big, um, a lot of a lot of guys and girls that dedicate a lot of their, a lot of time, a lot of hours to, to these two cars and to competing. And, um, you know, but ultimately, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm responsible for the overall performance of the team. And, you know, I'm, I'm really working hard to make sure that, um, yeah, repay the faith that the Groves have, have put in me and um, get the results and, and all of our partners and all the investment that they're all making. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's what it is when you're the, when you're the team principal, um, you have to take responsibility for the good and the bad. So um, that's just part of the gig. Gast Hander. You've worked for some of the biggest teams in supercars and you've come to Grove Racing well, from Triple Eight and they don't get much bigger. Yep. Stephen Grove has big ambitions for this team. 
Do you see the foundations there for this becoming a supercar superpower? I wouldn't have joined the team if I didn't think that um, they weren't capable of achieving what they want to achieve with this race team. Stephen and Brenton Grove have big ambitions for the team, absolutely. Uh, very lofty ambitions and, um, and yes, I think they are capable of making it happen. Uh, we're a lot, we still have a long way to go with the race team, but it has come a long way um, over the course of even the 10 months that I've been connected to the race team. So, um, yes, I think they can. It's not easy. We know that success in business doesn't always equal success in sport, um, but they have the right level of um, ambition uh, and determination. And then, importantly, they have the right people in the right places. So that was probably more so the reason I joined the team, like having David Couchy as team principal, Grant McPherson as technical director, Alistair McVean is one of the lead engineers who I've worked before with at HRT. Um, motorsport is about people, it's about staff, and they've got very key people in very key roles. Uh, and that was as much about the decision to join the team as it was about the ambition of where the Groves want to take it. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned people, processes, it obviously also takes a lot of money. But from what you can see and what you know, you can build a team to become a serious rival to the likes of Triple Eight and, say, DJR and Erebus. Yeah, um, the goal for this team is to become a benchmark race team. And it's not to measure itself against any of those teams that you mentioned. It's to build the team into an environment and an organisation that we feel is the right way to have success in sport, motorsport in Australia in this current era. So, um, so we don't compare ourselves to other race teams. We don't compare ourselves um, to things that have happened in the past. It's about building something that we feel is the right way forwards from, from what was probably 18 months ago into the future. Okay, Sandown 500 is back. Mm. It's coming up then the Bathurst 1000, which you have tremendous form in. Um, now normally you'd be a raging hot favourite. Mm. You're still a pretty powerful combination with David Reynolds. So do you like your chances at Sandown and then again at Bathurst? Um, yeah, I, I do. I think, um, I think the team has proven, particularly at Tail and Bend, that they've probably turned the cars around in that little form slump that was in the mid part of the year. The team started the year obviously incredibly strongly. Um, so yeah, I feel like we have as good a shot as anyone going into these next two races. Um, I'm excited for these next two races about the unknown. I think these are the first two races in a very long time where there's a huge amount of unknown. Unknown about the driver combinations, there's very few um, returning driver combinations uh, very um, very 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 little knowledge about these cars over a distance obviously like I said we've done single driver 250 kilometer races but they're a very different beast to a 500k or a 1000 kilometer race so um, the unknown I'm really excited about um, and I mentioned some of the people involved in this race team are some of the brightest um, brains in pit lane in supercars and uh, that's what you're going to need teams that can think on their feet Things that teams that prepare well, um, prepare for all, all eventualities, 
um, and then being able to execute them on the hop because you will. You'll have to you'll have to change things on the hop, and the team that does that the best will be the team that's more most likely to have success. Matt Payne, the Groves have very big ambitions for this team. You're in on the ground floor. You're part of that future. That must be very exciting. Yeah, it's um, it's cool to well, it's firstly, it's it's been a real privilege of mine for the Groves to uh, to take me on board, especially uh, I think late 2021. They they took a chance on me, and clearly, you know, I'm showing I can do it. But there's been a few mistakes on the way, which is what how young people operate. But um, yeah, it's also, it's awesome to to see they're they're so driven to to have a successful team. And um, you know, I thought they were you know doing good things a couple of years ago and now that it's even bigger and better with the with the workshop and um and with all, all of the uh sponsors and everything like that so it's uh, it's cool yeah so with the facilities which um they're ramping up back at brayside and some of the powerful people that are in there running the team and and working on the team uh, from the inside does this look like well obviously a team going places but does this look like it could be the next Triple Eight or the next Erebus? I suppose you'd have to say. Um, yeah, I think certainly. You know, I've first talk about the the renovations that have happened. It's um, you know we were in the old Kelly workshop, which was which was pretty cool in itself. But um, they've taken a whole new approach and they've renovated the whole thing, which is which it, it looks seriously seriously impressive. Mm -hmm. um, and to to work in an environment like that is is uh is really really special as well so um yeah no i think look we we always try and we're, we're always trying to be more, more successful every day and i don't think we're necessarily trying to be a a triple eight or, or an erebus or or as, as trying to be as like an ex, a successful team we, we want to be our own team but we want to be successful at the same time so hopefully in in a, in a couple of years you'll be saying Oh, you want to be like a Grove team, you know. So hopefully we 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 work every day to to get to that point. So yeah. And that Matt Payne is the next supercar superstar. Well, I think you know. Obviously, this year has been uh, my first year, and it's it's hasn't come without its challenges. So um, yeah. But we had a good round at the bend the last time, which was which was cool to be racing up the front. It was uh, good to to have some speed. So um. Yeah, just looking to carry it through to, to Sandown and be fast again and racing up the front, which was uh, which is a lot lot cooler than racing at the back, that's for sure. So um, yeah, and then in the next few years, just certainly hoping to well working towards making myself a better driver and and just being consistently up the front, challenging for race wins. For the Enduros, Penrite Racing has imported Penske Porsche endurance racing star Kevin Estray. He's combining with Matt Payne in what could be described as a dark horse entry. Payne is fast and Estray is very experienced, as well as knowing Mount Panorama already. He's looking forward to what he regards as old school racing in supercars. Internationals don't have a great modern history in the Bathurst 1000, but Estre's easy and enthusiastic adaptation to supercars suggests he could buck that trend. Well, Kevin, you've now 
driven the famous Australian supercar. Pretty different to what you used to. What do you think so far? Uh, yeah, very different, uh, but I have to say I enjoyed a lot driving. Uh, it's for sure a big challenge uh, for me as I'm, as I'm used to drive a very different car, uh, sitting on the other side, braking with the left foot, having paddles to, to change, uh, change gears. Uh, but actually it remember me uh, the, the Carrera Cup time uh, 10 years ago for me, uh, because it's, it's a car with no assistance very little downforce, uh, gear change, you know, heel and toe. Um, so it remembered me a lot of that, uh, but, but uh, definitely a very fun car to drive, challenging, because you have a lot of horsepower for not so much aero. Uh, and you need to be patient on, on the throttle, otherwise you kill the tires. Uh, but it's, uh, no, it's really cool, really cool car to drive. Well, as you say, it's old school, literally, because behind the wheel, you're much busier aren't you? You've got gear shift going, feet going, it, it, so it, it's, it is a blast from the past. Yeah, exactly. It re as I said, it, it's for me like uh, 10 years ago, Carrera Cup, uh, which is a which is a sort of car which is made for, for sprint uh, and, and just uh, where the driver has a big influence in, in, the, in the performance and I guess, and I think this car have for sure more more setup options than a Carrera Cup, but also where the drivers, I think the best drivers just can make a difference in these cars. And, uh, and it's nice, it's nice to have this type of racing uh, where you don't think about thousand systems in the car. Uh, you just think about your driving, brake bias, and, and that's yeah. it. And, uh, and, it's, and, and also on cool tracks, which are old school, where if you do a mistake, uh, you, get, you get in the wall and not doing a track limit, which is something also I, I like. So it's a good combination. Yeah. And first time at Sandown, which is a, an old school iconic track, but the big one, Mount Panorama. Now you have, you've raced at Mount Panorama, haven't you? But this will be very different this time around at Mount Panorama, won't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, the lap times are not that far away from a GT car. Uh, which I've raced there in in, uh, in uh, Mount Panorama uh, in Bathurst, mm -hmm. but uh, but you produce the lap time in a very different way because these cars are very fast down the straight compared to a GT car uh, and have good mechanical grip, but uh, but definitely less aero, less downforce. So I'll have to to for sure take references from my teammate and not not from the last time I drove there because for sure uh, it's going to be too quick in the fast corners. But uh, yeah, no. I mean, Bathurst is, is one of my favorite track, really. Uh, it's in my top three worldwide, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward to drive this beast in, in Bathurst. And of course, potentially to add the Sandown 500 or the Bathurst 1000 trophy to your collection. That would be great. Uh, I, I so far I've never never finished in a good position in Bathurst, but um, but I've won a few championship and a few big races in uh, in Europe and uh, and US and and it would be nice to have a, yeah to add some some trophy in Australia uh, from on on my on my career. Very good. Well, welcome back to Australia and uh, good luck at Sandown and then at Bathurst. Thank you so much. Thank you. As well as the return of the Sandown 500, Formula One is back in our region for the Singapore Grand Prix night street race. Joining me to discuss what we can expect from both big events is Speed Cafe Supercars editor Daniel Herrero and our Formula One editor Matt Koch, 
who'll be on the ground at the Marina Bay Circuit. Welcome, Daniel and Matt. And guys, well, it's going to be one of those much-watched weekends for motorsport fans. Lots to look forward to. Daniel? Sure is. G'day, folks. Yeah, very exciting to have the Sandown 500 back. There's a real buzz in in supercars around that at the moment. We haven't had it for four years, and even then, it was in a slightly unusual spot. So we've got our traditional Bathurst 1000 leading back at a great heritage circuit, and uh, really looking forward to seeing how that plays out this weekend. And Matt? Yeah, it's a nice little warm-up curtain raiser event for the uh, the main game, which is Formula One on on Sunday with the Singapore Grand Prix, one of the the blue ribbon events of the F one season. So it's it's a good weekend if you're a motorsport fan. Get the coffee on because you can you can watch through the day with with supercars and then late into the evening with uh, with Formula One and not actually miss anything. So the the schedule works for us this weekend. We'll come back to the Singapore Grand Prix, but first Sandown and all the latest news leading into the 500. Daniel Herrero, the driver's silly season is almost over, with Nick Perkett thrown a late lifeline by Matt Stone Racing. Update us on who's going where and are there it any spots all... left? Well, yeah, it, it is almost done. I mean, in theory, there are you know, a number of announcements, nearly half the grid still to be made, but we're honing in on uh, the Blanchard Racing Team and Premier Racing, and I think we uh, we seem to know what's going to happen there now. It looks like Premier will stay uh, as is with uh, James Golding and Tim Slade, and then BRT with their expansion to two cars. They'll still be all changed, so we expect James Courtney to go there and uh, Aaron Love to be promoted from Super 2. Okay, so... For the first time since 2019, the traditional pre-Bathurst two-driver enduro is back. And first and foremost, I guess, it's the first big test of Gen 3 reliability. So, Daniel, walk us through the questions and the changes for this event. The questions are many. Uh, I, I think the headline that we have to start off with is um, is on strategy. No compulsory pit stop. So this being an enduro, that's going to uh, throw the whole rhythm out. It's been it's been a decade, the entirety of Car of the Future, since we had that. So we don't know what fuel range will be like at Sand, and I'm sure all the teams have guesstimates based on where they've been so far this year. Um, but they'll also know even less about tyres. So we'll get full propeller head for a sec, but um, we're not going to know exactly when they're going to make their pit stops and how many they're going to have to make. And that's really going to throw all the balls into the air. Teams will have you know, near enough to full freedom as to how they attack this race. And we could see some wild strategies and, uh, and that has the potential to produce some surprise results as well. Fuel economy, I'm told, is pretty close. So uh, the claim is that Camaro and a Mustang, they're about half a percent apart. I'm not sure which way that leans in favour of, but that's not really material. The question will then be how drivers manage that if they want to try and stretch a stint, but then they've got to keep the tyres on the car as well. Well, it's sounding like it's going to be, uh, well, an old school supercars enduro, and that strategy element is certainly going to be, well, vital. Okay, the other question, Mark, reliability. How will the cars survive pounding over those sand-down curbs for 500 kilometres, do we think? 
Yeah, there's been some discussion about this as well. If we uh, we might see a return to the days of um, mechanical sympathy, obviously turns two and three are very harsh, and to make speed through there, you've really got to ride the curbs. We're uh, we're a wait and see at, at the moment on that front. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about steering racks. There's no spec change. We uh, we seem to be at a place where supercars and all the relevant stakeholders are are happy to run with. With what we've got, I think you know there's still some questions about driver feel, but the reliability is probably is probably okay. Brakes are the question at the moment. Sandown is it a tough circuit on brakes. There are a couple of big stops, obviously, you know, two very long straights. So uh, we'll be watching out for that. There's no compulsory uh, brake change at Sandown. I have to do pads at Bathurst, but it'll be interesting to see if teams try and do that during the race. And of course they'll be dealing with some new systems given that these are brand new race cars. So that'd be interesting to see as well. And what's the latest on the ongoing parity discussion? My information is that uh, aero test at the bend following the supercars event there last month. Well, it wasn't so much about looking for changes, but just various tweaks to the existing configuration and, uh, Certainly nothing expected for Sandown. Is, is that about what you understand? That's that's about right. It, it would be very unlikely that we that we would have seen aero changes for Sandown because of the the rules around this uh, parity trigger. So basically, there haven't been enough races, and the Mustangs' performance was pretty good, arguably better than the Camaros at the Bend. Um, so the the activity at the Bend post event was more about just getting a feel for what they might do. In future, if there needs to be a change, there won't be a change for Sandown. Uh, I'm hearing maybe that the uh, the Chevrolets have a new engine map, but I don't think that's too much for performance. Certainly not at the top end. They were chasing some some low rev issues and some stall warnings earlier in the year, which is um, which they tried to address with a map that they introduced recently. So I think that's just sort of tidy up drivability. Um, still a question around straight line and they've still got differing shift cuts in them so we think that the Camaro will be 105 milliseconds for the rest of the year whereas the Mustang's on the standard 50 so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out I think uh, whatever the case is with respect to parity or otherwise it's going to be shown up over the course of uh, of a 500k race at Sandown not so much in qualifying but by the end of the Sunday afternoon we'll get a pretty decent idea Indeed, I'm sure the parity discussion will rage on leading up to the big show at Mount Panorama. Well, there's Matt Koch. Stands by patiently. Don't worry, Matt. We'll be back to you soon. Daniel, who do we like for, for the Sandown 500? My money's on a 888 entry, I've got to say. Yeah, I'm going to be boring and go the same there, to be honest. Uh, I think... I think just the strategy stuff that we've been talking about, the, the fuel saving, the tyre management, um, that plays into Shane Van Gisbergen's hands. Certainly, he's been there and done that before. Um, interesting to see how uh, Richard Stanaway goes as his co-driver. Um, but, of course, he's just got to you know, hand the car back in a decent position. And, obviously, SVG races really well we might see that crazy you know final 10 laps or so as we do as an enduro in an enduro sometimes and 
and when the races there to be won and lost, uh, SVG is of course one of the best. Um, not to rule out the championship leader Brody Kostecki, of course, and he's probably got one of the more underrated co-drivers in the field in David Russell. But I just think on uh, on uh, on past form, ninety-seven probably with the edge at the moment. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, wouldn't discount Brock Feeney and Jamie Wincup by any stretch of the imagination. Nor, as you mentioned, you know, Brody Kostecki. But, I mean, for Triple Eight, this is their time to gain momentum again to, well, overhaul Erebus Motorsport, who had the wood on them all season so far, isn't it? Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, 300 points on the line in each of these next two races. So a chance for, for Shane Van Gisbergen to claw back some of that gap on... Uh, on uh, Brody Kostecki, it blew out a bit again uh, at the bend when Kostecki had that sweep. It's probably a particularly important weekend or set of weekends coming up for their respective teammates. Obviously, it was a, a very bad weekend at the bend for uh, for Will Brown in the other era of a century and uh, Brock Feeney uh, he had that late clash with David Reynolds. It also um, wasn't his best weekend at Sydney either in the preceding event. So uh, those two will be... Obviously, uh, the eyes on the big prize, those in terms of the standard 500, those will be looking to make up ground as well. And I've got to say, time for Dick Johnson Racing to step up, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. They've been slowly chipping away. It's it's hard to read, to get a full read on how they went in the bend. There was obviously that uh, that gambling qualifying on the Saturday there that backfired. Um but yeah, I, I think for them they really they spoken about parity before. They at least need to be, you know, up there as the the top board team. Um at the moment it looks like that uh that swung back to Tickford based on their performance at the bends. But yeah, DJ, they uh they do need to step up as well. Well, overall, you know, as we speak, many contenders, board really, you know, needs to steal a big win to make a statement. So um, I guess more than ever, this Sandown 500 is going to be quite fascinating. Now, speaking of Sandown and its future, well, of course, we learned earlier in the week on the Speed Cafe newscast that as best we understand at the moment, and it's pretty good intelligence, 2025 is it for, well, what they used to call big, bad Sandown. Now, Daniel, Without Sandown, much less the Sandown 500, um, I would say it's going to leave a big hole in the calendar. Now, that brings us back to Matt Koch. And Matt, it's been touted that the Singapore Grand Prix is looking to supercars to bolster up their support race program. Can Singapore fill that gap that will be left when Sandown sadly departs? Say Sandown sadly departs. I must admit, I've got no soft spot for it. I think it's a venue that should have closed probably 15 years ago in you reality. Heresy. <laughs> yeah. so it, oh, it's one of those venues, every time a car hits the fence, there's a stoppage because I've got to fix the thing because the barriers aren't in firm ground. Um, me, I, I, I acknowledge its history and, and everything else, the Tasman, all of that sort of stuff going back through the 60s and the, the touring car stuff, but it's past its use by date. It's time to move on and, and enjoy the memories while we've got them. Looking at the future, though, you mentioned Singapore and 
it's a story that's been around folks for probably almost as long as you really it's I been bubbling that, away. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been around for more than a decade. You're right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always sort of been there. And the other current, what I don't understand is yes, Singapore can fill that gap. It's a big blue ribbon event. It's a phenomenal city. The supercars will look spectacular around Marina Bay, bouncing over the curbs and rubbing right up against the, uh, the walls under lights. You know, if it's in the early evening on a Sunday, which is a p- potential, um, but just from a business point of view, I don't understand it. Uh, obviously, from supercar's standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't get it from from Singapore's standpoint. They don't they don't need supercars. They get the attendance anyway. It's it's a sellout this year. Um, logistically, it's not easy. I mean, but but let's just purely look at the sporting spectacle. And and yeah, I think supercars in Singapore add something that isn't on the current colour. Maybe it's a little bit like Surfers Paradise, a slightly different atmosphere, but it then also opens a whole new demographic, a new market potentially, which is something that I guess now we've got international cars in the Camaro and the Mustang that we didn't have previously makes a little bit more sense. But I'd like to see a supercar around around Singapore just from a pure spectacle standpoint but as soon as i put my critical journalist hat on the whole thing just i don't understand the business model from singapore's standpoint and formula one as we well know the sport comes secondary in most instances to the almighty dollar uh so until i can understand what singapore gets out of it i just raise my eyebrows at it a little bit i'm not saying it won't happen because stranger things have uh but it's uh, it's a curious one to to think about. It is indeed, and it's definitely not happening next year, as there was some speculation. Uh, well, more than speculation. Uh, working supercars is working hard to get on the show, but as you point out, many questions, very few answers. So we'll just have to keep a watching brief, and I'm sure while you're at the Marina Bay circuit over the weekend, you'll be chasing that one down with the relevant authorities so let's look at the singapore grand prix as you mentioned it's a glamour event some call it the monaco of asia it's certainly spectacular i've been there several times and night racing there is something to see but at the moment can we expect anything more than well another red bull racing route I'd love to say yes uh, and give everyone that little glimmer of hope, but I just can't see it. Um, Red Bull Racing, and more to the point, Max Verstappen is just on another level at the moment. You know, 10 wins on the bounce in Formula 1 is unprecedented. and Sorry, in World Championship Formula 1 history is, is unprecedented. And that's a car that has worked well at every venue that it's gone to. The only, the only thing in our favour is that we know there are other cars that work well at these sorts of circuits as well. So maybe it'll have a little bit more competition when you look at the likes of Mercedes. That's a car that's been coming along nicely. Aston Martin performed really well in Monaco, slightly different in that it's a much lower speed circuit, but it's still a street circuit, still bumpy. So there's a bit of carryover there. So that's encouraging McLaren. We know that car performs well. Its strength tends to be high speed handling rather than low speed it's okay in low speed but uh that has been a weakness so 
it'll be interesting to see just what gains the upgrades that it's bought. We haven't seen a properly slow street circuit since it bought those in in Austria and Silverstone. So it'll be interesting to see how that transpires. Um, there's a, enough questions there to keep us interested, but I just don't see any of them offering a serious challenge to, to Red Bull. Greg Maffei, the uh, Liberty Media the CEO, not even Formula One, but Formula One's owning company, Liberty Media, he said that the only way to break uh, to beat Max Verstappen at the moment is to break the guy's leg. Um, let's hope that doesn't happen. There's sort of there's an element of truth in there because even when he qualified out of position, even when he was held up during the first third of the Italian Grand Prix, once he got in front, he ran away and hid, even in a car that wasn't the fastest in the straight line. In fact, it was one of the slowest. He still managed to pull away from the Ferraris that were the fastest in the straight line. So the handling of that Red Bull is phenomenal. It fits him like a glove. For me, let's almost put Max Verstappen in, in Formula... Oh, no, he's not Formula 2, is he? He's Formula Half or Formula Zero or something because he's in his own different world. Let's look at everyone else and... What can Sergio Perez do against the the Ferraris and the Aston Martins and the Mercedes? That'll be the interesting thing for me. Yes, Verstappen is in a class of his own, clearly. And if you're a Ferrari or a Mercedes fan, or Aston Martin for that matter, for that matter <clears throat> yeah, you're going to be fighting for scraps this weekend. It would sadly appear. Um, I don't suppose there's been a minor, well, a reasonable change to the Marina Bay street circuit. What's that going to do, do you think? It's going to be fascinating because the area that we're talking about is what's called the float at Marina Bay. It's where you come off the Esplanade Bridge, you turn right down onto Raffles Avenue, and they, you had that sort of bus stop chicane. It's an elongated bus stop chicane that went under the, the grandstand. That's not there anymore because it's a construction site. They're in the process of building the NS Square, which is uh, basically a monument to Singapore's military Um so that construction, if it's not begun, it's very soon to begin. It's meant to begin third quarter of this year. So the circuit now runs straight through that section and then turns right onto, it's a little bit like, I guess, the, the Adelaide Parkland circuit where you've got city streets and then there's one little section uh, at the end of the lap that's got permanent racetrack. And that's where you turn right and go around sort of the Singapore flyer. So you now come barreling down Raffles Avenue and, and turn right and then left and you'll be sort of at the final corner. That for me opens up overtaking opportunities, not only at that right-hander, which could potentially see DRS uh, introduced. We need to have a look at the race director notes there. I haven't heard anything about it, but that's, uh, that doesn't mean too much. But potentially also create some action coming off the Esplanade Bridge as well. If you can set a car up there, tuck up in the, uh, the slipstream and then, pull out so it potentially opens another overtaking zone and for me this is something that i, I mentioned on the uh, on the pit top podcast earlier in the week for me what would be interesting is what does this do to the type of racing that we see singapore is typically pretty processional we've now got an opportunity hopefully to have another overtaking zone if this improves the racing do we bother reverting the track as is planned uh, once the NS Square complex is is complete in a little while time, and then we're talking a couple of years, if the racing's better, surely you just leave it as it is. Hopefully, uh, so that'll that'll be that'll be interesting to see. 
hope springs eternal, doesn't it, <laughs> in Formula One in terms of close racing. So, as you mentioned, our big hope, our only hope is Oscar Piastri for a, a podium or a big points finish. And, of course, Daniel Ricciardo, he won't be there, still recovering from that broken wrist. What's the latest there and when are we expecting him back this season? Are we? It's safe to assume that Daniel will be back at some point this year. We've not heard any official word from Red Bull at this stage. He has Daniel has taken to social media to post a photo of his hand that had 13 stitches in. In that photo, we could see that the hand was a bit swollen. Even his pinky finger was a little bit swollen. And the big thing is whether there's any nerve damage in the hand, because if there is, that delays the recovery process. If it's just a nice clean break and it didn't impact any of the nerves or tendons or anything in the hand, the recovery is going to be pretty, pretty quick to the point where I think Qatar is the first event realistically that we'll see him back. So I've got Singapore this weekend, the Japanese Grand Prix follows immediately after next weekend. We've then got a weekend off and then we go to, to Qatar. Okay. That, so just quickly, Matt, how big a blow is this to Daniel's 2024 aspirations to return full time and then indeed get back into Red Bull racing in 2025? It is a big blow because Liam Lawson, who's been drafted in, is doing a superb job. Uh, he's done everything that the team could have asked him and more, and that creates a headache because Yuki Sonoda is a known quantity. Liam Lawson is impressed. Daniel hasn't had an opportunity really to impress at this point. So he needs to get back, and when he gets back, he needs to drive really bloody well, despite having no time in that car and potentially also carrying an injury. So the degree of difficulty goes through the roof. In terms of 24, to get back into Red Bull, uh, and Sergio Perez has hinted that that's, you know, it's not as done as we all thought it was with Sergio staying there. Maybe that's a bigger ask now for for Daniel. You know, if he'd stayed throughout and, and not had this injury, maybe it would have been a little bit easier. I think the one that we need to be looking at now is also Yuki Tsunoda. I think Sergio is now safe at Red Bull. Liam Lawson and Daniel Ricciardo are really staking their claim for an Alpha Tauri birth next year. All right. Well, fingers tightly crossed that Danny Ricardo can come back from this injury and force him way, his way back into Formula One next year. As we've been saying, a huge weekend of top-level motorsport coming up. Matt, Daniel, thanks for your time and your insights. And, of course, we look forward to your comprehensive coverage from Singapore and Sandown at speedcafe.com Well, that's it for now. I'll be back late on Monday with all the latest breaking news on Speed Cafe Newscast. In the meantime, full coverage of racing around the globe on speedcafe.com And don't forget the latest Speed Cafe Grassroots Racing Podcast featuring Tasmanian legend Ray Hislop. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production. 